Well, the title of the message today is this, First Things First. And I'm going to go into it in a moment and delve deep into a particular subject. But before I do that, I want to just take a moment to celebrate. We should always take moments to celebrate. And I want to celebrate something that has happened amongst us here in this last month of February at C3. We have actually broken a record. And so I'm going to ask for a volunteer, Rick, who's here. This, for those of you that don't know, I'm just going to show you something which some of you think is uh, an antique, and it probably is. This is a record. There are other, other, other digital means, this isn't digital, but uh, of communication available today. But this is called, for those of you that don't know, an LP, a long player. That's what it is. And for those of you wondering what it is, it's 42 Mother Goose songs by Alec Templeton. And I'm sure no one will worry about what we're going to do because we've smashed a record, guys. And I want to tell you what that record is and then smash it, trying to avoid Rick's face in the process. In the month of February, and some of you think, oh, we shouldn't be celebrating this, but I've got the microphone. We today are going to celebrate in this moment, so I need you to go ballistic, that during the month of February 2019, we took in our history as a church, this is our, all the years we've been around, the single biggest monthly income of tithes and offerings ever. <laughs> single biggest. Now, obviously, we've had um, offerings that have been bigger than we got this month, as in special offerings. But this wasn't special. We had no special offerings during February, just the regular giving tithes and offerings. And I think we should celebrate that, hence why I broke the record, because we smashed it. Now, before you start to think, oh, that's great, there's never enough money, because the vision's so big. Our vision is huge. So we'll, I, I, I'm celebrating, but that doesn't mean, what, what is it? It's not in the Bible, but one swallow doesn't make a summer. We've, we've still got to keep going and pressing through on that. But I think it's good to pause for a moment. I'm saying that particularly, and I think God set this up for the subject I'm going to speak today, because what I'm going to speak about today is not because we are in hard times, that we're not paying our bills, by the grace of God we are, and it's not because I want something more from you, it genuinely is, as your pastor, something I want for you. That is my motive in bringing this message. I'd planned it already before I knew what was happening in, in February. But I want to speak about today, first things first, and particularly breakthrough in finances. Now, we just finished 40 days of prayer. Ange mentioned that. We're going to fast throughout some of us through Lent as well. But one of the things I got from you when talking to you, a lot of you said this, we're praying for a breakthrough in our finances. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but number of conversations. We need a breakthrough in our finances. And I think that's okay to pray for a breakthrough in our finances. Jesus taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. That's to do with financial breakthrough. 
Breakthrough means this. This is what the dictionary defines it as. An important discovery or event that helps us to improve a situation or provide an answer to a problem. Noun would be advance or progress. Synonyms would be boost, development, discovery, finding, gain, improvement, leap, progress, increase, rise, quantum leap, step forward. And we believe that as we pray, God give us this day our daily bread, we can see breakthrough. So we should pray for this. It's not an issue, not a problem to pray. It's in the Lord's Prayer. And that, of course, had its roots, that daily bread request, has its roots in the history of Israel when they were wandering and daily God provided bread for them. So when the first hearer would hear this, they'd think, oh yeah, Israel wandered around every single day. God provided manna from heaven. That literally means angel bread. They had to collect the manna but God was the one who supernaturally provided every morning when they rose. There it was. We had to go and pick it just one day at a time. God provided for them. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe God can supernaturally provide for us in this day? That's all the front row. What about the back? Do, we, do you believe we serve a supernatural God? He hasn't changed in relation to this, has he? He can still provide. In fact, there's story after story of how God supernaturally provides, often with very ordinary things. So there's one story in the book of Kings, a woman, she only has a little bit of oil. She's about, that's all she's going to do. She's going to cook her last meal and then die. And the prophet says to her, get as many earthen pots, just ordinary pots, and pour that oil in and keep pouring. And you know the story, perhaps the pots kept getting filled until she ran out of pots. Supernatural provision. There's another story about Elijah the prophet who's a little bit depressed and he goes by the, 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 the uh, brook of Kerith and God says to him, I'm going to provide for you with water from the brook and ravens, which were unclean birds, unclean, they were scavengers, but they would come every day with bread to feed the prophet. On our Sedum roof here, I've been noticing we have every day visitors, some, I think they're rooks. I don't think they're ravens. But I was looking at them the other day thinking, if times get hard, could God do that for me? Could there be a raven with a little bit of bread in its mouth every single day for me to take? Is it the same God we serve? He can sit, my, one of my favourite stories of provision in the Bible is when Peter goes to the temple and the guys there at the temple say to him, does your master pay the temple tax? And Peter says, of course he does. And so he goes back to the house with Jesus and Jesus asks him, our children are exempt. He says this, from whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes from their own children or others? And Peter replies, the children are exempt. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm a child of God. I don't have to pay these taxes. But then he adds this, you need to hear this. But so we might not cause offence, we'll pay. And this is what he says to Peter. Go and cast your line and the first fish you'll catch, open its mouth and in its mouth will be a four drachma coin and that coin will pay your taxes and mine for the temple. Isn't that amazing? I'm a fisherman. I want to tell you this, I have never caught a fish without looking in its mouth, just in case. There might be a curled up 10 pound note there. In fact, I'll let you, honestly, this, this is the truth. I enjoy catching fish and gutting them, which may sound a bit gross, but you eat, if you eat fish, you need to gut them first. When I gut them, 
I've often looked in its belly to see, is there going to be a diamond ring there? Or just a little diamond? It's not happened yet. But it could. I'm going to go fishing more. I believe that's a God of mir- uh, we serve a God of miracles who can provide for us supernaturally. I want to read to you here a story from someone in this church that sent me on email, praying for breakthrough. He said, listen to this story. Remember I was trying to give away a car. This guy wanted to give away a car. We asked around the church. We found no one. Sorry if we missed you, all right? He says, remember I was trying to give away my car? Yep. Well, in the end, it went to a missionary family back from Africa who were coming to London for a few months to have a baby. It was exactly what they needed at just the right time. Hear that? Giving of his car was their provision of a miracle. Within a handful of days of this, I received a message from the HR department at work to say that an internal audit had found some irregularities in my car allowance. They said they would put it right immediately and would also backdate it to when they felt I should have received it. They didn't confirm how long that would be, and all I knew was that it never appeared on my paycheck. I'd assumed it would have appeared in my base salary, but it seemed it should have been a separate line. So I had to wait until my February payslip arrived to see what the real value was. Well, it turned out that it was now £700 a month, and they backdated it to when I started in January 2013. He writes, I gave my car to a missionary family. My company gave me, if anyone's done the maths, here's the exact figure, £51,770. Now that was a pathetic clap. If you'd have got £51,770 in your paycheck this last week, I think you'd have been clapping a little bit louder than that. He adds, wow, thank you God, what an abundant blessing. Then he mentions in in nice terms the text man taking his cut and what an answer to prayer it was. He says, we'll pay some things off and then he adds this, it's also an opportunity to bless others and we will. So we should trust God for the breakthrough. But it's not unrelated to godly practices day in, day out, week in, week out that God responds to. I honestly believe fruitfulness is at the end of faithfulness. So we've got to be faithful. And there are principles in regard to money. We're going to do a whole series on this later in the year. But there are principles that are attached to money that if we are faithful, God will give us the fruitfulness. God will give us the breakthrough. So that's why I want to speak today on first things first. What I'm about to share with you is directly from the Bible. I've borrowed some outline from um, Robert Morris, who teaches on this, the blessed life stuff. But it's all there in the Bible, and it's in your version notes with all the verses I can't go through today. So let's read from Malachi chapter 3, verse 6 to 12. First part. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Just pause there. God's saying to them, because I am the same forever, I've not wiped you out. God hasn't changed. He's still the same today, yesterday and forever. Because I, the Lord, do not change, you descendants of Jacob are not destroyed. God's full of grace. 
Ever since the time of your ancestors, you've turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? He says, but yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. I want to talk about tithing. Tithe means 10% by definition. The tithe in the Bible, in this passage that we've just read here, is not what's left out at the end of the month. It's the priority of your giving. It's the first 10%. And the first thing, and it's in your notes on version, I want to say, is that the tithe is a test. Every single month, when you get your income, it's a test. Effectively, when that comes in, however you earn it, it's a test for you to say, who am I going to worship? Who am I going to put first? Who are you going to acknowledge as first in your life? Who are you going to say is the provider for all that I have? Is your first 10% going to MasterCard or Visa or Santander or whoever you may have a credit card with? Because whatever you give your first 10% to, you're saying that is your master. That's what, now do you worship MasterCard? Do you worship Santander? Or is God your master? The first 10% belongs to him. And let me just say this, if you give the first 10% to something else, you've still given the tithe, but you've robbed it from God. My notes say pause for effect. (laughs) You've robbed it from God. Because it's gone somewhere. It's still a tithe. Because the tithe, according to the Scriptures, belongs to the Lord. It's mine. Literally, 10% belongs to the Lord. It's a test. It's testing your heart to see what's first. This is the only place in the Bible that you will find where God says, test me in this. So not only is it a test for us, it's a test of Him. Test God in this. It says, you've forgotten my ordinances. An ordinance is a regular practice. What they did regularly. In what way should we return, they say to God. And God says, in tithes and offerings. Now, I just want to remind you again, I'm saying this for your sake. I'm not doing this for my sake. This is for you to live the fullest potential life that God wants for you as a fully devoted follower. And the promises of God, if you will give it first, he will rebuke the devourer for your sakes and he will meet all your needs, not your greed, but your needs. And the nations will look on and say, you are blessed. You see, in regard to salvation, we're not under a curse. We are saved. Let me read this scripture to you. Galatians 3, 16. Christ 
redeemed us from the curse of the law by coming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. And so through our faith in the one who hung on the tree, in Jesus Christ, we go from judgment to righteousness, from sin to righteousness. There's a divine exchange that goes on. We go from guilt and shame to freedom, forgiveness and sonship. There's a divine exchange because our sin was taken on the cross. However, the potential to sin still remains within us until Jesus returns. So even though we've been forgiven and we're not under the curse, the potential to sin is still there and we do it and we spoil our lives by doing it. All of us. We do it. There are consequences when we sin. If you steal, there are consequences. If you don't tithe, it's not that God then sends a pox on you or some kind of incantation. It's that you, because of the consequences of your actions, put yourself under a curse. It's saying, because you don't do this, this is the consequence. And if we fail to give God the first 10%, there are consequences. Now listen to me. I've been tithing since I was 16 years of age. I'm now 107. And for the whole of those years, I have never known God not provide when I've given to him first. It's mine. It's his, says the Lord. I wonder why it might be 10%. Why 10? Well, I think number one, because... It's the same for everyone. Whether you earn £10 or whether you earn 10000 it's the same percentage. I know it's a different figure, but it never gets any easier just because you earn more. It's the same right the way across. But also, this is what I want you to particularly note, 10 in the Bible is the number of testing. And I'm going to ask you some questions and I'd like you to shout out and respond when I give you the question. It's not hard. All right, so how many plagues were there in Egypt when God was trying to get Pharaoh to release the people of God? How many? Ten. Ten. He was testing their heart. How many commandments are there? Some of you aren't sure. Hello? How many are there? It's testing our obedience to God. Numbers 14. How many times does God test Israel in the wilderness? Come on, I've given you the answer. How many times did God test Israel in the wilderness? Ten. Ten. How many days was Daniel tested in the first chapter? Ten. How many times did God test Jacob with Laban when his wages were changed? How many times did they get changed? He's testing him. How many virgins had their preparedness in Matthew 25 tested? How many days of testing are mentioned in the book of Revelation 2, verse 10? <laughs> How many days was Lazarus dead before Jesus came and brought him back to life? <laughs> the answer's four. I was just testing you. God, we could go on. Ten is the number of testing. He's testing our hearts. Who's first in our life? And as I say, you can test God in this as well. Number two, tithing is biblical. Some people say this to me, tithing was in the law and we are not under the law. You're right, it was in the law. And you're right, we're not under the law. But that doesn't mean the tithing shouldn't exist today. 
Tithing was before the law, in the law, and in the New Testament. And nowhere are we instructed that it doesn't apply to today. People say this to me, oh, I'm under grace. Well, does that mean stuff in the law doesn't apply? Under the law, it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. Oh, I'm under grace. In the law, it said, thou shalt not steal. Oh, I'm under grace. And we pick and choose. Yes, tithing was written into the law, but it was way before the law, and it still applies today for your God, for your worship. You may not be under the law. We may be in grace, but grace takes things to another level, not a less than level. What about this? Matthew 5, 22. Jesus agrees, don't murder. But then he adds this, do not even be angry with your brother. Uh-uh. It's a whole other level under grace of righteousness. Then he says this, do not commit adultery. Right? We agree. Then he adds, do not even look on a woman lustfully. Matthew 5, 28. He takes it to a whole nother level, deeper and higher and broader. Grace isn't less than. Grace is always more than. So my question to someone who says, oh, we're under grace, is where do you stand then? 20%? What's your figure? Grace is freeing. Now, the first mention of the tithe, literally the very first mention of the word, is with Abram. He was Abram then before he became Abraham. His family were taken into captivity and with 312 trained men, he went and rescued them. And then when he's coming back from the battle with all the spoils and the goods, a priest, first time a priest is mentioned in the Bible, a priest called Melchizedek comes out to meet him. And Melchizedek brings with him wine and bread. Is this giving you a clue of what it might be representing? And Melchizedek, the literal name, he was a priest and he was a king. Another clue? He means prince of peace and king of righteousness. Some people think it was a theophany, that is, the pre-incarnate Christ appeared to Abram. I personally don't, but what I do believe is that for certain, it was meant to be pointing towards Christ. It's a type, it's a shadow, it's a, a foretaste for us of Jesus and in Hebrews, it teaches us that he, Jesus, is in the order of Melchizedek. So he's not in the Levi order. He's in the order of Melchizedek. No beginning, no end, because we don't know where Melchizedek came from. We don't know where he went after this. He's the prince of peace. He's the king of righteousness. And he comes out and he gives sustenance to Abram and his 312 warriors. And then, this is what Abram does. Look it up, Genesis 12. He gave 10% of all that he'd taken to Melchizedek. That's 500 years before the law. 400 years before the law, Jacob has an encounter with God. He realizes the place where he is lying is a gateway to heaven. And he says, this is going to be called Bethel. And then he says, from here on in, Genesis 28, of all you've given me, I'm going to give you a tithe. It's in the law. It's pre the law. And it's even in the New Testament. I won't go through the law scriptures for the sake of time. But listen to this. If Jesus himself said you ought to tithe, would you tithe? <laughs> would you? Then let me tell you what Jesus said. This is him speaking to the Pharisees. Matthew 23, 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! 
For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So what he's saying is, don't neglect justice and mercy and faithfulness. We don't need to give you tithe neglecting those things. But give your tithe with law, with justice and mercy and, and faithfulness. That's what he wants us to do. Don't neglect the former by doing, without doing the latter. He wants us to do it all. So Jesus 100% supports tithing. And then in, in, in Hebrews 7 verse 8, when he's talking about Melchizedek, it says that, Melchizedek was one kind of priest. Jesus in the same order. And when we give now, we're giving to our high priest, Jesus. So I believe the tithe, and we teach this, the tithe belongs in the local church, in the storehouse. You don't give it to this part and that part in your decision. You give it to the local church. But ultimately, you're giving it to Jesus. That's why we often say when we're giving our offering on, Guys, this isn't just an inconvenient moment in the service. This is worship. Just, it's not an inconvenient time. It's worship. When we give of our tithes, it's worship. Number three, tithing is a blessing. If you see in your notes, I've written 2 Chronicles chapter 31, which is a story about King Hezekiah, who's a righteous king, a good king who comes to the throne. And the nation is under a curse. And so what Hezekiah does is he restores right order. And one of the very first things he commands the people to do is to bring a tithe into the house of God. Remember Anne said, we're the house of God. He brings the tithe into the house of God to support the Levites and the priests and the sojourners and the widows. He says, bring it in. And so they gave. And Hezekiah comes a bit later on and paraphrasing, and there's this big pile, and it's so big, he says, well, are the people okay? They've given all of this, and, and the priests say, oh, no, they've been blessed beyond, so this is their tithe, but you should see how they're doing. They've given, but God's blessed them. And he says, great, bring it into the house. So, let me apply it here today. I think we have a great preaching team. I think we have a great team that serve in this church in the many different departments. Don't you? I think I'll preach in the spiritual food, if I can say, from our preaching team, including me, he says with humility. It's fantastic. And you all agree. All in favour say amen. amen. Spiritual food. You enjoy the food you get. Angie and I were uh, in London last year. I can't remember what we'd gone to. We were sitting in a restaurant and there was a couple next to us, and they were lost in each other's eyes, just like Angie and I were. They were stirring, they were giggling, they were laughing, they were touching each other's hands, and they were just away with the fairies. And, and, and they were there, and then they got up to go. And they're walking out the door, they got the coat on, they're walking out the door, and the waiter shouts across, excuse me, sir, you haven't paid. And this guy, he didn't try and run out or anything. Uh, he just, oh, he went bright red. He says, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I forgot to pay. And he paid. I hope he gave him a big tip. I said to Ange, when we go, we must remember to pay because we were lost in one of each other's eyes as well. Let's not forget to pay. We paid before we left. Some of you do that every week. 
come and have a feast with us and you don't give anything. Would you do it in a restaurant? And why do you do it here in the house of God? It's not right. Now I'm aware I could preach this message and lose some people. God bless. Because we're not trying to please you, we're trying to grow disciples. Trying to grow disciples. So let me give a, a final example. I've got three volunteers, three fine volunteers. Would you please come to the stage? Please. See, I've discovered this over the years. I've tithed, as I say, all, all my life. And tithers have consistently said to me, we are so blessed. Every tither I can think of, we are so blessed. I started church ministry in this way in 1987. I've never heard a tither say to me they're not blessed. I'll tell you this though. I've heard a lot of non-tithers say to me this, I can't afford to tithe. And the two confessions, I can't afford to tithe. Let me read to you what I wrote down. You will never be able to afford to tithe until you start to tithe. Because tithing rebukes the devourer. You will never get ahead whilst you don't tithe. It's a faith step. I don't want any of you to feel condemned. This is a, not a condemnatory message. It's a faith message. Find it in your heart. Well, let me give you this last example. Just say, I'm going away for, for two years. And I'm going on the mission field and I'm leaving my wife behind. The wife of my youth. My bride. My love. I'm leaving her behind. I don't want to go, but I've got to go. I've got to leave you behind. So I want her to be looked after while I'm away. So I ask some guys to look after her. I say to her, Dad, I'm going away for two years. She's the wife of my youth, my bride. I love her. I'm going to send you every month 10,000 pounds. I just want you to give her 1,000 every month. I'll give you 10. You make sure she gets 1,000. Rosemary, I'm going away. You know my wife, Angie, she's my bride. I love her. Two years, we're going to be, I can't get back. I'm going to send 10,000 pounds a month to you. I want you to give her 1,000 every single month. Alice, she's my wife, she's my bride. I love her. I want to channel some money through you. I'm going to send you every month 10,000 pounds. I want you to give her 1,000 pounds. So I go away. Don't worry, guys. You don't have to work anything out. I go away, I'm six months in, and I think, you know what, I really need to ring Ange and find out, is she okay financially? I mean, we've spoken before, we've just not mentioned money. Hello, my love, my bride, um, the one I talk to every day on the phone. I, I forgot to mention, how's it going financially? She says, oh, I'm doing fine. I said, well, you know, I've been sending money to some guys. She says, yeah, yeah. So I've been sending 10,000 to Alice. Have you been getting every month, Ange says? thousand pounds Alice has been doing it regularly first of the month every month I've got a thousand pounds from her oh great what about Ed yeah Ed's been sending two thousand pounds a month two thousand I only ask him to send a thousand and she says I've been getting two thousand pounds a month from Ed every single month first of the month comes in okay what, what about Rosemary she says, oh, I don't want to talk about Rosemary. <laughs> I said, why, why not? Well, 
she said, I've had some money from it. I said, come on, tell me what have you had. Well, the first month I got a thousand from Rosemary. And then the second month I got 700 from Rosemary. And then the third month I got 400 from Rosemary. And ever since, she hasn't been giving anything. <laughs> do you know what I will do? I'll say, Rosemary, thank you, bye. And I'm going to give my other 10,000, another five to Alice, another five to Ed, because I know they're looking after the first of the month they send it through. Rosemary, she was robbing me. She was robbing my wife. Round of applause for the drama team. My point is this, guys. Jesus has a bride. Jesus has... A wife, someone that he loves, gave his life for to the church. In this context, it's you and me. And we'll send it a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit haphazard. My appeal to you, my challenge to you, is look after his bride. Look after his bride because the bride is the apple of his eye. The bride is the one that's been given the commission to go into all the world. The bride is to look after the poor. We can't leave everything to government. The church is needed in our world. And the bride needs support. And so my appeal to you is until Jesus comes, I don't, I don't know whether we're going to have to tithe in the age to come. I can't find anything about it. It's come on. Let's give. I think we could go into a whole other level. I'm not just talking about C3 now. I'm talking about churches in this country. If people tithe in our mission, in our outreach, and in our excellence, they could reach more people if we'd live by this. You know what? You'll never be tempted not to tithe. Where's my daughter, Megan? She was sitting on the front row. Hey, Meg, Meg's getting married in the summer. On the 29th of June. Angie and I double tithe. We give about 22, 23% every year away. I'm glad she's getting married. I really like the guy she's marrying. He's lovely. But I've been so tempted to stop double tithing to put it into her wedding. Because boy, is she expensive. But she's worth it. And we'll find it. We'll do it. Of course we will. But it's a temptation to say, oh, let's give less in order to do something else that I love. I want a wedding day to be the best day of our life thus far. Within budget. Because <laughs> I love her. Because I love her. But God is faithful. And God will provide for you when you honour Him first. When you honour Him first, He will provide all that's needed. He is no man's debtor. So my encouragement to you is, if you've not given tithe regularly, and this is, by the way, there's offerings on top of this. We'll talk about that later on. Uh, this is just the beginning. This is not the end. This is the floor, not the ceiling. We can give more because we earn more and we are blessed. But you can give a standing order. I say standing order because it stops you forgetting. You can still check your accounts every month. I look at my accounts, our accounts, every month. When I see the tithe has gone out, which goes out at the beginning of the month, 
I always say, God, that's worship to you. But it helps me to not forget and give in that way. And if you're a UK taxpayer, you should just sign the gift aid form. My challenge is to you, but remember this, it's not to get more from you, it's for you. Because this, what I've just taught you today, in Jesus' name, this is life transforming. And it'll do you good. Let's pray. Father, as we consider this message, I pray that no one will feel condemned here. We're not trying to condemn. If, if it's come across with any sense of condemnation, forgive me, Lord. I pray that it will be, though, that your Holy Spirit convicts where is necessary and that we'll respond and even change our lifestyles in order to prioritise you. In your name I pray. Amen. Can I just say that, what I prayed? You might have to sell a car. You may have to downsize. You may have to make an adjustment in your life. That's how important this is because we're not playing games in order to prioritise God. Think about it. It's worship. It's worship. Who's first in your life?